Amen. Church family, you guys can grab a seat. Happy Sunday. It's good to see all of you. I want to welcome all of you who are here in the house with us, as well as our online church family. If you happen to be tuning in via live stream, we want to say welcome to you as well. If you happen to be new or newer to New Life, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. I typically kind of hang out uh, up front for 15, 20 minutes uh, after the service. So if we haven't met, I, I would love just to, the chance to introduce myself, say hey. Um, if you have a Bible this morning, go ahead and grab it, open it up or turn it on on your device and head straight for John 17. We're going to get right to work this morning. If this is your first time, we are in a series called Abide and we're, we're in John's Gospel. We're kind of working through chapters 13 through 17, this really important section of the New Testament because this is the last conversation that Jesus is gonna have with his disciples, with the 11. Remember, Judas Iscariot has already betrayed Jesus, so now Jesus is down to the 11, and he's having this last conversation with his disciples right before he goes to the cross. And so super important stuff, like really critical stuff. Listen, not just for them, but for us as modern day disciples in 2021 in Asheville, North Carolina. It's amazing how relevant all of this is right for us in this time right now. Now, if you've been here the last few weeks, Jesus has really been talking a lot about the Holy Spirit. And so just kind of constantly, chapter 14 is almost all about the Holy Spirit. Chapter 16, almost all about the Holy Spirit. Hits it again in 15 and 16. And so just a, a big focus on the importance of the Holy Spirit, his empowerment in our lives so that we might abide in him and walk in him and live on the mission that he has called us to live on as followers of Jesus. You may or may not know this, but today is actually Pentecost Sunday. So it's, it's the Sunday every year where many churches around the world celebrate the sending of the Holy Spirit, right? And so, so maybe in your reading time this week, maybe you'd pick up Acts chapter one, Acts chapter two, kind of work through that. Uh, but, but man, Jesus has really been emphasizing the importance of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And then last Sunday, my, my dad preached and uh, finished up John chapter 16. And at the end of that chapter, we see Jesus telling us, hey, listen, believers, my disciples, followers, you will have tribulation in this world. All right, so Jesus doesn't say, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna remove the difficulties of this world. I'm gonna remove the pain of this world from you. He doesn't say any of that. He says, listen, in this world, you are gonna have problems. You are gonna have tribulation. You are gonna be persecuted. You are gonna be misunderstood for following me in my ways. But take heart because I have overcome the world. Right, and now he's getting ready to go to the cross and he prays this absolutely magnificent prayer in John chapter 17. Now we're gonna take the next two weeks to kind of unpack this prayer. Honestly, as I was studying this week, we could take two months to unpack this prayer. I mean, I, in fact, I came across this pastor in the 1800s as I was studying who, uh, who spent 45 weeks in John 17, right? You guys think I'm long-winded. Like he's just getting started, right? I'm finishing a series. He's just getting done with his intro. But it's just a really rich passage. Matthew Henry, kind of very famous Bible commentator, he says this about John 17. It is the most remarkable prayer following the most full and consoling discourse ever uttered on earth. John Knox, some of you guys may be familiar with that name, great Scottish reformer. As he was dying, he had his wife Margaret 
read John 17 to him over and over and over again as he passed from this life into the life to come. It's just a super rich, deep prayer that Jesus gives us, and it's so instructive for our lives, even, even today. It's incredible. Now, in this prayer, what we're gonna see over the next two weeks, interestingly, is that Jesus prays primarily for three things. He prays for himself, which that may come as a surprise to you. Jesus actually prays for himself. And then he prays for his disciples, right? The, the 11, again, Judas Iscariot has now, at this point, betrayed Jesus. He's walked away. And so he prays for himself. He prays for the 11. And then he prays for you. M- many people don't know that. He, a- he actually prays for, he prays for me, his modern day disciples. And you have to come back next week to get that part of John 17. So let's dive in. Let's get after it. John 17, starting in verse one. And we're just gonna kind of work through this. We'll read a little bit, talk about it, apply it, read a bit, talk about it, apply it. That'd be kind of our our pattern. All right, here we go. When Jesus, verse one, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. In other words, Father, I'm I'm about to go to the cross. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. So Jesus is saying, Father, Father, we've been waiting on this moment for a long time, haven't we? We've been planning this before the foundations of the earth. That I was gonna come on a rescue mission to seek and save that which is lost. Man, we've been, we've been thinking about this. We've been planning this moment for a long time. Now it's time, Father. I can sense it in my spirit. It's go time now. So God, would you, would you glorify me? In other words, would you, would you help me to accomplish the mission that you've given me so that I might glorify you, Father, See, Jesus had a mission to, to seek and save that, that which was lost. Luke's gospel tells us that. Seek and save that which was lost. But ultimately, Jesus had a mission of glorification, right? He, he knew his purpose in life, and he lived it out. Now, why, why is that important for us? You're like, man, okay, that, that's cool, but what does that mean for, for my life? Here's why it's important. I believe there's a crisis of purpose today. I believe there's a crisis of purpose today. Just, just look around the people around you in your sphere of influence, scroll through social media, turn on any news channel. Man, pe- people don't know who they are. People don't know why they exist in the world. They don't know what their life should be about, right? And when you don't know the, the who, the why, or the what, man, when there's no purpose, when there's no identity in life, people tend to live for and glorify themselves. And so what happens is you can end up with all kinds of confusion and all kinds of kind of twisted ideas about life that don't satisfy and won't satisfy and will never be able to satisfy. And so the first truth that I wanna draw out from this text, from this prayer from Jesus, I'll put this on the screens for you. If you take notes, write this down, it's important. Purpose fuels happiness. Purpose fuels happiness. I looked at, at a study this week that was published a few years ago in the Journal of the American Medical Association about happiness, and what they did was they researched all these people who were beginning to retire to try to figure out what made some people happy at the end of their careers and other people not happy. So it was like, is it, is it money? Is it whoever has the most stuff? Is it who, who accomplished most in their field or their career? What, what makes somebody happy? Now here's the conclusion verbatim from, from an article that, that really went in depth on this study. This is what it said, one thing is inescapably interwoven with happiness, fulfillment, and maximum productivity. And the people that had this one thing tended to, they found, live longer lives and better lives. 
So they were more satisfied in their lives. What's that one thing this study showed? Purpose. It was purpose. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, I can tell you what your purpose is. I don't even have to know you personally. I don't have to know anything about your background. I don't have to know anything about your aspirations, your hopes, your dreams. I can tell you exactly what your purpose in life is. Because your purpose is the same purpose that Jesus just articulated, and that is to glorify God. Right? That word glorify just means to, to reflect. Your job in life is to reflect God to the world through the passions that he's given you, through the, the gifts and the talents that he's given you. You know, before I became a follower of, of Jesus, my primary purpose in life, what I was chasing in life, was to make as much money as possible and to experience the maximum amount of pleasure I could in, in life. And so I got my bachelor's degree in, in sports management because what I wanted to do was I wanted to become a, a sports agent, right? So I was gonna represent um, sports athlete stars and fly all over the country and have multiple houses. And, and that, that was kind of my dream. But I can tell you, man, even the pursuit of that was empty. It was hollow. It felt flimsy. It wasn't satisfying. And then as a 20-year-old sophomore in college, Jesus pursued me. He saved me, right? He gave me a new heart. He gave me a new purpose, right? One I never, ever in a million years would have chosen for myself, Right, the one thing I told God once he got a hold of my life was, God, I'll do anything. I'll go be a missionary in Africa. Just don't make me a pastor. <laughs> that, I, no lie, that was my prayer. I'll do anything except, right? I'll do anything except, like, this is not a pathway, a purpose I would have chosen for myself, and yet it's, it's one that I wouldn't trade for anything in the world. Listen, y'all, purpose matters. Purpose matters. A psychology professor named Angela Duckworth tells the story of, uh, of three bricklayers. And they're all asked, as they're working, as they're laying bricks, what, what they're doing. And the first bricklayer answers, I'm laying bricks. It's accurate, right? But the second bricklayer answers, I'm building a church. Doing the same thing, but completely different perspective. The third bricklayer says, I'm building the kingdom of God, right? I'm laying bricks. Building a church, I'm expanding the kingdom of God. And she goes on to conclude that the first bricklayer had a job, the second bricklayer had a career, but the third bricklayer had a calling, had a purpose, doing the same exact thing, had a purpose in life. See, there's this huge connection between purpose and happiness. And I'm telling you, only Jesus can give you that ultimate sense of purpose in life. Only Jesus can turn a bricklayer into a kingdom builder or a nurse into a kingdom builder, or a high school student into a kingdom builder, or a janitor, or a CEO, or whatever it is that you're doing in life. It's the beauty of Jesus. It's the beauty of the gospel. Verse, verse two, he continues. Since you have given him, that's Jesus, since you have given Jesus authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Now you can see why somebody would spend 45 weeks in John 17. This is rich. It's, it's deep, Right? What he's saying is, listen, Jesus has all authority. So listen, whatever authority you might have in your life, whether it's at work, at school, maybe you serve on a PTA board at school, whatever, whatever authority you have ultimately is de derived from the authority of Jesus and stands under the authority of Jesus. Right? He is the supreme, he is the ultimate authority over all the universe, and he says, including the ability to give eternal life. 
Now understand this, this is not popular today, especially in the pluralistic culture in which we live, but the truth remains, I'm telling you, eternal life is only found in Jesus. He doesn't leave us any other option. Jesus doesn't say, hey, listen, I'm one way to purpose. I'm one way to eternal life. I'm one way to the Father. He doesn't even leave that option open. He says, I'm not a way. I am the way. I'm the only way. I'm the way to purpose. I'm the way to eternal life. Which, by the way, begins the moment that you trust Jesus. I think a lot of us have this idea, eternal life begins the day that we die, right? We step into heaven, and then our eternal life begins. But that's not the message of Scripture. Eternal life begins the very moment that you place your faith and your trust, you begin to walk with Jesus, right? I've been, I've been living an eternal life since I was 20 years old in college. Because that's when Jesus gave me a new life. That's when he gave me his spirit to indwell me and guide me. That's when he gave me a new purpose. That's when I finally got a connection with my creator that I'd never experienced before. Listen, only Jesus can do that. Verse three, he continues, and this is eternal life, that they know you. So listen, this is about a relationship. I want you to understand that. If you're new to church, if you're not a Christian, you need to understand this. This is about a relationship. This is not about religion. He says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, Father. It's relational. Our God, thank God that he's relational. He wants us to know him. He wants to know us intimately. Oftentimes, um, when I strike up a conversation with somebody, uh, inevitably, it kind of goes to, oh, what do you do? Oh, you know, whatever. I'm a, I'm a lawyer or I'm, I'm whatever. Well, what do you do? Well, I'm a pastor. And they're like, oh. It gets kind of awkward, right, Re- really quickly, I think I hear somebody calling me. And I, I think I gotta go over here, right? And sometimes they'll say something like, oh, that's, that's cool, but I'm not religious. And I love just looking, not missing a beat, looking right back at them and saying, that's awesome, neither am I, right? And they go, what? Did you just say you're a pastor? Like, yeah, I, I want nothing to do with religion. I want nothing to do with religion. I want everything to do with Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I want to walk in relationship with him. I want to have his spirit indwelling me and guiding me in life. And it's awesome. It's not static. It's not boring. It's not a religion. It's active and it's alive and it's dynamic and it's awesome. And you should try it too. Right? He said, this is a relational thing. Father, that they may know you. And he continues, the only true God. Now, you guys need to understand, especially in our culture today, there are many gods, there's only one true God. And I'll hear well-meaning people all the time say stuff like, well, Chris, it, don't all world religions, are we basically worshiping the same God? Like we just call them different, like Jesus, Allah, Buddha. We, don't we just, aren't, aren't they all just different pathways up the same mountain? And I just wanna say to you this morning that that is 100% absolutely False. I've read the Quran. I've lived in a Muslim country for almost three years. We do not worship the same God, not even close. There are all kinds of gods out there. There are all kinds of false gods out there. There are all kinds of false gospels out there. I'm convinced there are all sorts of demonic gods out there that have actual power. But there is only one true God, and we know him through Jesus Christ. And he continues. He says, listen, there's only one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth. 
having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. We could spend a whole message just, just right there. We don't have time, so let's go. Verse six, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, I have shown them who you are. I have embodied God in human flesh and blood and bone so they could see who God is and what God is like in a tangible human way. It continues, yours they were and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now I wanna, I wanna hit pause right there just, just for a second because Jesus is constantly coming back to this same theme that those who know him, those who love him, those who follow him obey his word, they keep his word. And I just wanna say to you, beloved, more and more as our culture continues to depart from the ways of Jesus, that those who really love Jesus in our culture are gonna become more and more obvious and more and more weird. And ultimately, I would argue that this is good because the days of being able to fake faith in Jesus are quickly coming to an end and praise God for that. I think that's healthy for the church. So I just want you to listen to me. I want you to understand, man, if, you, if you're gonna love Jesus in this culture, if you're gonna follow after Jesus in this culture, especially in the days ahead, you need to understand that you will stand out. That you will stand out because your value system is gonna be in direct conflict with the value system of the world or our culture. Understand this, young people, your friends are gonna think you're weird when you don't move in with your boyfriend or girlfriend before you're married. They're gonna think it's weird that you don't cohabitate before marriage. People are gonna think that you're really odd when you invest significant financial resources into the kingdom of Jesus. Instead of buying the newest car, the biggest house, or the newest iPhone or iPad, every time it comes out, people are like, man, that's, that's weird, that's strange. People are gonna think it's strange when you love those who curse you or those who try to cancel you for your love of Jesus and following his ways. When we don't respond in rage or anger, but we, we love those, we bless those who curse us, who persecute us. They're gonna think it's weird. Listen guys, authentic Christians, what Jesus is saying, authentic Christians keep the word of Jesus. Listen, when it's popular and maybe especially when it's not popular in our culture. I heard a pastor once say, I think rightly, that a sign of spiritual maturity is that when you come to something in the scriptures, the word of Jesus that you disagree with, your response is, Jesus, you're right and I'm wrong. And can I just be honest with you, as a pastor, can I be a little bit transparent? There are things in the scriptures that I come to sometimes that I'm like, I wish that wasn't in there. Man, my life would be a lot easier if I could just take this one verse out. I could just take this one chapter out, man. The culture would like me and I wouldn't be criticized as much for my beliefs and I could be a cool kid too, right? There, there, would, there are times when I come to things in the scripture, I'm like, man, I wish that wasn't there. But that is a sign of spiritual maturity, of sanctification, of growing in love with Jesus. When you come to something you disagree with and you say, Jesus, I don't even understand it, but you're right and I'm wrong. Now, if your response is, when you get to those points in Scripture, if your response is, Jesus, you're wrong and I'm right, 
or Jesus, you're wrong and the culture around me is right, or Jesus, you're wrong and my friends at school are right, that's a problem. That should be a huge spiritual red flag going off in your spirit. It should be an alarm going off, the Holy Spirit. This is something is wrong, something is not right. Because Jesus is saying, my disciples keep my word. Now listen, not flawlessly, not perfectly. I'm not arguing for the idea that Christians never sin again once they come to faith in Christ. Oftentimes we do this very clumsily. But we hold fast to Jesus. We hold fast to his word because we know that real flourishing in our life comes from his plan for our life, not our plan for our life. He continues on in verse seven. He says, now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and that they have believed that you sent me. I am, this is beautiful. Just, just let this sink in. Look at verse nine. I am praying for them. Son or daughter of God, do you know that Jesus is praying for you? Just, just let that marinate a little bit in your soul. The Son of God is praying for you at this very moment. Listen to, what, what, listen, listen to what he says. He says, I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are you, yours. Now listen, Jesus loves the world, John three sixteen. I believe Jesus does love the world, but he has a special, intense sort of love that is absolutely reserved for his sons and daughters, for his disciples. Look, I, it's kind of like for me, I, I love all kids, right? I, I was out there between services earlier just watching about 20 kids run around the, the parking lot, and man, I was just smiling, watching. I love kids. I love your kids. But I don't love your kids the way I love my kids. I've got three kids that I would do anything in this world for, right? I love kids, but there's a special kind of connection. There's a special, intimate, intense kind of love that I have for my kids. That's what Jesus is saying. If you're in me, he's got that kind of love for you. In fact, he's praying for you. Listen, if you're in Jesus, do you know that you belong to God? Have you ever thought about that? You, you actually, you belong to him. I want you to listen to the words of Jesus. John chapter 10, this will be on the screens for you. This blows my mind. This is what Jesus says. He says, I get, that's us, I give them, my disciples, eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Church, listen to me. If you didn't save yourself, you can't, and by the way, you didn't. You contributed, nothing to, you contributed nothing to your salvation except the sin that necessitated Jesus going to the cross. You didn't earn your salvation. If you didn't save yourself, guess what you can't do? You can't unsave yourself. This is what we call in the church world the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Once you truly belong to Jesus, you will always belong to Jesus. Now listen, for me, that is a great comfort for some people, this doctrine kind of bothers them. This is a great comfort to me because, listen, if I could lose my salvation, if it was up to me to keep my salvation, guess what I would do? I would lose it, 100%. Multiple times every day, I'd lose it. But my salvation was purchased and sealed by Jesus on the cross as evidenced by the empty tomb three days later and as such will never be lost. Praise God for that truth that I am secure in Jesus, I, I belong to him. He is mine and I am his. Verse 10, 
He says, all mine are yours and yours are mine and I'm glorified in them and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I'm coming to you. Here Jesus begins to pray for three things for his disciples. By the way, three things that we should be praying for ourselves. Paul says in Romans 8 that Jesus right now sits at the right hand of the Father and he's praying, he's interceding for us. How cool is that? That Jesus, the Son of God, at the right hand of the Father, right now, even in this moment, as we gather, he's praying for us, he's interceding for us. Now what is Jesus praying for us? Well, we don't know exactly everything that Jesus is praying for us, probably a whole lot of things, probably praying a lot more for some of you than others of you, but I think at the very least, he gives us three things that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is consistently praying for us. So let's look at the middle of verse 11. This is what he says. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given, given me, that they may be one even as we are one. So three things that Jesus is praying for you if you're a follower of Jesus. Number one is protection for your unity with fellow believers. That's the first thing Jesus tells us he's praying for protection for your unity with fellow believers. Now notice that he says that they may be one even as we are one. Now can you just for a moment pause and imagine the type of unity, the type of oneness that the Father shares with the Son. Perfect unity. Eternal relationship. Flawless love, right? The Father and the Son, they aren't, they aren't gossiping about one another on Snapchat, Right? They're not slandering each other on Twitter or Facebook. Perfect, flawless unity. And he says, that's the kind of unity that I want among my people. That's the kind of unity that I want among my, my church, my, my bride. Perfect unity. Now, we'll see next week why this is so important. But I, can I just tell you that one thing that as a pastor has grieved my heart greatly over the last year, has grieved the hearts of many pastors that I've talked to, is this sort of disunity that many professing Christians have displayed over the last year over secondary matters. I'm gonna step on some toes, but I don't care. Things like politics, things like masks, things like vaccines. And I'm not saying that any of those things are unimportant. I'm saying they're secondary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And professing believers, disciples of Jesus, dividing over these ultimately insignificant in eternity things. I'm talking about people leaving churches, faith families they've been a part of for years, decades. I'm talking about believers slandering one another on social media. Friendships absolutely eviscerated and evaporated over this stupid junk, non-gospel issues. And church, can I just tell you, this grieves the heart of Jesus. And can I tell you, ultimately, this is sin. If this has characterized your life, you need to repent. This is not from Jesus. Now, I am grateful that by and large, here at New Life, this has been a season of, of unity here. I'm grateful that I can say this to you as an encouragement this morning from the stage instead of as a correction but I'm begging you guys, let's, let's continue pursuing, let's continue pressing forward into this uncommon unity that Jesus is praying for us even now in this moment. He's praying for this type of unity for us. It's so important. Verse 12, 
while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Now, this is a reference to Judas Iscariot. We talked about him just a couple of weeks ago, right? The first fake Christian ever. And so we've talked about the fact that Judas Iscariot should stand as a lesson to all of us, that it is very much possible to look religious, to appear religious, to say the right Christianese words, to go to church, to do all these things, and to appear like we know Jesus. But when we're actually dead on the inside, we have no relationship with Jesus. Judas was the first fake Christian. And I'm convinced there are churches all across this nation that are filled to the brim with fake Christians, religious people. Memorize some Bible verses, they go to church, they like the fellowship, they think the songs are cool, they think the preacher is funny, whatever it is. But they have no dynamic, real, lasting relationship with their creator through Jesus Christ. Make sure you don't have the spirit of Judas. Make sure you know Jesus. You love him, that you're walking with him daily, that you're filled with his spirit, being led by his spirit. Verse 13, but now I am coming to you, Father, and these things I speak to the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. Do you know that Jesus wants his people to be happy? His church should be a place of joy, right? This is part of the Christian experience. If being a Christian isn't making you happy, if it's not a great adventure, you're doing something wrong. Verse 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So Jesus tells us why he's praying for our unity. That's because, listen, we have an enemy. Do you guys know that? We have an enemy, and that's the second thing that Jesus is praying for us. Number two, he's praying for our protection from the evil one. Now, Jesus says something pretty interesting here. He says, the world will hate you, Christians, because you are not of the world. And Jesus is making a prediction here that his disciples, as they choose a pathway that cuts against the grain of the world or the prevailing culture, that they would be hated that they would be misrepresented and misunderstood and mistreated. But interestingly, Jesus doesn't pray that God would keep them from the world. He doesn't say, God, keep them from the world, keep them from the pain of the world, keep them from the sin of the world, keep them from the chaos of the world. That's not his prayer at all. And see, I think a lot of Christians in modern-day American church have this misunderstanding that when God saves us, we're supposed to slide into a Christian bubble. So God saves us out of the world and then we don't want to contaminate ourselves again and so we create these little bubbles where we're only hanging around other Christians and we're only watching Christian movies and certainly only listen to Christian music and we create these little Christianese bubbles around us and we think that's the right thing to do. There's only one problem with that. Jesus never held to that way of thinking in his life. In fact, in the Gospels, Jesus was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because he ate and drank with sinners. He constantly was rubbing shoulders with the outcast, with the prostitute, with the leper. He was out in the streets, the highways, and the byways of the world because he knew they needed light too. And he tells us that now we as his disciples, as his sons and his daughters, he calls us to be salt and light in the world. So believer, listen to me, please don't be a Christian isolationist. Don't become a Christian isolationist. You are called to be salt and light in your neighborhood, in your school, in your workplaces. 
with your family members. God saves us out of the world so that he can send us back into the world with purpose. No longer to participate in the things of the world, but in order that we might be light in the darkness. But here's what Jesus does pray for. He prays for our protection from the evil one. Now listen, this is a big one, especially in the Western world, especially in North America. We sort of, even, even Christians, we, we sort of feel like we've moved beyond the spiritual world, right? We're, we're more enlightened, right? We're, we're smarter, we're more educated. People that wrote the Bible, you know, probably still a little superstitious or not quite as smart as we are. Listen, I'm, I'm just telling you, we, listen, we have a real enemy. We have a real enemy. And he is cunning and he is crafty and he's been doing this a whole heck of a lot longer than you have been. Listen, I, I've lived part of my childhood, part of my, my adult life. I've lived in third world countries. I've lived in developing countries. I've had the privilege to, to travel to dozens of countries and talk with people and meet with pastors. And in these cultures, people typically, they interact with the spiritual world far more than we do. Listen, I could tell you stories right now that would make the hair on the back of your neck just absolutely stand up. And I'm just telling you, the spiritual realm is absolutely real. The evil one is real. Why are we as followers of Jesus, why are we hated? Why are we misunderstood? Why are we mistreated? Because we have an evil one. Why is there such a struggle for unity in the body of Christ sometimes? Because we have an evil one who roams the earth seeking who he might devour. 1 Peter chapter five. My hope and your hope, dear brother, dear sister, Rest in this truth that there is one who has overcome the world. There is one who has defeated our enemy and even now he's praying protection over us and praise God that in Jesus we are conquerors. No, we are more than conquerors. And our enemy has no more ultimate authority or power in our lives. But our enemy is very real. And he's very active, he's very cunning and he's working even right now in this moment to destroy you to destroy your marriage, to destroy your kids, to destroy your grandkids, to sink you into depression and hopelessness. He's actively pursuing these things. Praise God, we have a savior who stands in the gap for us and is praying against that even now in this moment. Verse 16, he, he continues on, he goes, they are not of the world, the disciples. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, this word sanctify, is just a biblical word, it means purify to make holy, to, to set apart. So he's saying, God, would you, Father, would you, would you set them apart? Sanctify them in the truth. What is the truth? Your word is truth, Jesus says. So how are we sanctified? Jesus tells us the word of truth. Right, this is one reason why we're, we're constantly here at New Life, we're trying to encourage you to be word-saturated people and at least kind of three categories of life, right? We're constantly encouraging you, man, go home and read the scriptures. I'm telling you right now, if, you're, if you wait to come here and you're just hoping to get filled up with the word for 30 minutes or 40 minutes and you're just hoping that's gonna carry you all week long to the next Sunday, I'm telling you, you're missing out. You, you need to make that a discipline of your life where you're carving out 15, 20, 30 minutes to really just get alone with the Lord, to open his word, to allow his spirit to speak to you, to impart these truths and apply these truths to your life. 
So that's one thing, man. We just would encourage you to be a word-saturated people. Make that a discipline in your life, personal reading. Second area that we would encourage you with kind of becoming a word-saturated person is what we're doing right now, the, the corporate proclamation of the word. Man, we, we need this. We need to be together under the proclamation of the word of God. We're commanded, Hebrews 10, to do this on a weekly basis. It's important. And then kind of the third arena we would encourage you to be, become a word-saturated believer is, is through community living. Whether that's a Bible study here, a small group here, the reality is, man, we, we need to get in circles and flesh this stuff out, don't we? Say, man, this, this is hard. This is a hard teaching. Like, what, is this, what does this mean? Like, how do I apply this to my life? How do I apply this to my marriage? How do I apply this to my coworker that just drives me nuts every single week? How, do, how does this stuff actually flesh out in my life? Man, we need this. So we need it on a personal level. We need it in a corporate level. And then we need it in a more a small group level as, as well. We are set apart. We are sanctified according to Jesus by the word of truth. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So here we find the third thing that Jesus is praying for his disciples, to sanctify them, but to sanctify them for what? Jesus tells us to sanctify us for the mission. Look at verses 17 and 18 again. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, listen, so I have sent them into the world. The third thing Jesus is praying for you believers that you would be set apart for his mission. Jesus says, just as you sent me into the world, now, Father, I'm gonna send my people into the world. So, Father, would you protect their unity? Would you protect them from the evil one? Would you sanctify them for the mission that lies ahead of them? Friend, do you know that there are people in your life right now, perhaps even the people you wish most were not in your life right now, that are there precisely because God has placed them in your life in order that you might be salt and light to them? Do you know that you don't have to move to Africa to become a missionary? If you love Jesus, you're already a missionary. Now, you may be a lousy missionary right now, but you're a missionary nonetheless. That is our calling. He has sanctified us. He has set us apart so that we wouldn't become a Christian bubble, but that would be sent back into the world on mission for him. Have you ever wondered why Jesus doesn't, I've wondered this, like, man, this world is so broken and so painful and so confusing and, and all these negative things, right? So Jesus, when you save me, why don't you just like teleport me to the new heavens and new earth, right? Because I read about those things and it sounds pretty awesome. I wanna be there. That's where I wanna be. No more pain, no more suffering, the kingdom of Jesus, glory forever. Why doesn't he just snap his fingers when we believe and teleport us right to the new heavens and new earth? He could do that, you know, why doesn't he? Is it because he wants us to suffer in this, in this broken world? No, I don't, I, don't, I don't think so. No, no, no. It's because, listen, dear brother, dear sister, it's because you have a mission. You have a mission. You have a purpose beyond the grind of a, of a nine to five job or going to school in the morning or just paying the bills. Listen, you are a kingdom builder. And you can be a kingdom builder whether you're a pastor or a bricklayer or a middle school student or anything else. 
Jesus is praying that you would be sanctified, set apart by the word of truth, and then sent back into the world on mission for him. Those are the three things that we know for sure Jesus is praying for his disciples even right now. Protection of our unity, protection from the evil one who's very real, and sanctification for the mission that he's given us. Now let me give you two quick application points and then we'll land the plane and we'll sing. Number one is this. Application point number one. You need to know Jesus. You need to know Jesus. And, and I, I just know, statistically speaking, a room this size, with the number of people we have watching online, there, there are more, more than one of you who doesn't know Jesus. And some of you might even call yourself a Christian. Some of you might, maybe even, you grew up in church and this is like a normal part of your life. So you go to church and maybe you even know some Bible verses, man, but there is no authentic, life-changing, dynamic relationship with your creator through Jesus Christ. And that's you, I'm just telling you, religion isn't good enough. You need Jesus. You need to know him. His spirit needs to fill you so that you can walk with him every single day of your life, right? He is the one that gives us purpose in life. He is the avenue, the only avenue to eternal life. He is the one who protects us from the evil one. He defends us from the evil one. He's the one who sends us on mission so that our life has purpose and meaning in this world. So if you don't know Jesus, if you would honestly just have to say, listen, You can deceive your spouse, you can deceive your friends, you can deceive me even, you will never deceive God. So if you know deep down that you don't have this transformational relationship with Jesus, I'm just, may I humbly submit to you this morning, there is nothing in your life right now that is more important than getting to know Jesus today. Nothing. Not your financial situation, not your relational problems, not your work problems, not the water leak you got going on in your basement at home, none of that. It's more important than you knowing Jesus in a real relational way today before you leave this place or before you get off this broadcast. You need to know Jesus. I'm telling you, you gotta know Jesus. You gotta crawl before you can walk. You gotta walk before you can run. It starts with knowing Jesus. Here's a second one, second application for what Jesus is saying here. Listen, believer, we gotta, we gotta start praying. No, no, a lot of you are like, man, that's so cliche. There's a pastor in a church building standing in the pulpit telling a bunch of Christians to pray. No, 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 no. Listen, listen to me. We have to learn how to start praying. Praying for ourselves and praying for one another and praying for the world around us. Listen, if Jesus made it a regular practice to get alone and pray, guess what you need? You need to be praying. You need to be praying for yourself. You need to be praying for unity in your heart and mind. You need to be praying for protection from the evil one in your life. You need to be praying for a set-apartness, a sanctification for the mission that Jesus has for us. And listen to me, you also need to be praying that for other people. So many of us, I'm, I'm guilty of this. We just pray these kind of mindless, repetitive prayers, right? When we sit down and we eat a meal or we go to bed at night and it's the same darn thing every time and we're not, there's no thought behind it, there's no heart behind it, but we say we're praying. That's not the kind of prayer I'm talking about, y'all. I'm talking about real dynamic communication with our Father 
through Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit in our life. And we need to be praying those kind of powerful prayers for ourselves and for one another. Do you know the one thing that means more to me almost than, than anything else is when people come up to me and they tell me, Chris, I'm praying for you regularly. Like I have you on my prayer list and every morning when I get alone with God, I pray for you and I pray for your wife and I pray for your kids and I pray for our church. Can I tell you, that, that means more to me than, than anything. Listen, guys, I, I need your prayers. I covet your prayers. I need saints interceding for me before the throne room of God every single day. And let me tell you something, you need that too. We all need others praying for us, interceding on our behalf and in front of the Father in the throne room of God. J.C. Ryle, an old English pastor, put it well. I'll put this on the screens for you. I love the way he put it. He said, he loves me best who loves me in his prayers. He loves me best who loves me in his prayers. Church, let's begin praying for ourselves these three things that Jesus is praying for us. Let's pray for one another. Let's pray that God would unify our minds and our hearts, that we wouldn't be distracted by all these secondary matters and issues that our world is trying to distract us with, that the enemy is trying to divide us over, that we would stand against that satanic move in our culture and say, no, 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 no. These are my brothers. These are my sisters. And we are unified around the one thing that matters most, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray for one another, that we'd be unified in heart and mind. Let's pray that we'd be protected from the evil one who's working against us even now, who wants to still kill and destroy, and he wants to tear apart our relationships and our marriages and destroy our kids and our grandkids and everything else in our life. Let's, let's stand against that and say, no, 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 God, we're gonna pray against the evil one. We stand in agreement with Jesus. He prays for our protection against the evil one, God. Let's pray. Let's pray that God would sanctify us through the truth of his word, that he would set us apart and send us back into the world, not into a Christian bubble, but back into the world to be salt and light to a dark and dying world that desperately needs to know that there is a God in heaven who loves them. And he sent Jesus on a rescue mission so they could be restored to their creator. Let's pray that passionately for ourselves and let's pray that passionately for one another. Let's pray that for the glory of our King and for the good of those who need to know this King. Let's pray and then we're gonna sing. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending him into the world to live the life that we never could. And to die as a payment to atone for our rebellion against you and our sin against you. And thank you, God, that Jesus didn't stay in that tomb in Jerusalem. But just like he said, he rose three days later. And now he offers us life and freedom and purpose. And he's praying for us even now. God, and so we want to pray in unison with Jesus. Would you give us unity in the body? Jesus, help us not be distracted by all these secondary and tertiary things that are not gonna matter at all in eternity. Help us keep the main thing, the main thing, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ that a dead and dying world needs desperately. Would you unify us for your sake, for the sake of your kingdom, God? 
Would you protect us from the evil one who is working against us even now in this moment? Would you shield him from his, shield us from his attacks, God? And Father, would you sanctify us by the truth of your word? Would you set us apart even when culture doesn't get us? Even when our culture looks at our value system and says, that's so messed up, that's so backwards, that doesn't make sense. God, would you still, would you set us apart? Would you sanctify us and send us back into the world to be salt and light? And we pray all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Church, let's stand and let's worship.